0: All right, well, thank you for tuning in, Open Door. I know you're not here uh, with me right now, but uh, I'm excited and thankful that we have the means and this technology to be able to get the the truth out, get the word of God out. We're currently in a series um, in Philippians and we're working our way through and we're gonna get into that in a little bit, but some exciting news for me, I recently, found out I'm gonna be a dad. Um, I'm pretty thrilled about that. So December 27th is the day I'm waiting for and I already bought a front pack and so I'm looking forward to carrying my my little babe around with me wherever I go. Um, but I was thinking about being a dad and what that entails and thankfully I already had some dad jokes um, kinda of in my pocket, up my sleeve and they've already been coming out for a while now uh, but i was thinking dads tell stories sometimes they're not good stories sometimes they're uh, bedtime stories and so i came up with a little story to share for you guys this morning this is how it goes there once was a bricklayer named joe now joe was a great guy he was a hard worker but he never quite felt enough there was a young lady that just so happened to work at Joe's favourite coffee shop and it made his heart stop when she'd make him his double shot latte every morning when he'd come in and it made him stop in his tracks when she'd give it to him and say here's that cup of Joe Joe. (laughs) So Joe was pretty smitten but he thought to himself this Karen Weaver She's never going to go for me. So straight to the barber he went, got himself the freshest cut. He said, uh, you can add a splash of colour in if you want. And he went down to the mall and decked himself out in the latest fashion trends. And he headed straight back to see Karen Weaver behind the, the bar at the, at the coffee shop. And he ordered his double shot latte. And to his horror, she said, oh, do I know you? And, and he stammered and he said, it's me, it's Joe. Oh, and she's like, oh, I couldn't tell. And he said, I, I just so wanted to impress you and I thought maybe if I looked good enough, you might notice me. And she looked at him and she said, Joe, it isn't all the stuff that makes you good enough. It's your heart that I'm drawn to. It's a little bit cheesy, but sometimes dads are cheesy too. In the following verses, we're going to hear from Paul urging the church in Philippi to not be deceived into thinking that they've got to look good enough in order to be seen as righteous before God. So let's read from Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 to 11. This is what it says. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law Now verse 2, the verse that came directly before the passage we just read, really prefaces everything that Paul just said. This is what it says. He said in verse 2, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And here paul is really cautioning the philippians to be aware of a certain type of jew a certain type of people that had infiltrated the church and they were among them they were among the churches and they were trying to say that in order to be seen as righteous as good enough um, to really be um, part of god's family to really be a part of the kingdom of god you've got to be circumcised and if you're not then that's not good enough and Paul actually talks about these people quite a lot in the book of Galatians. And in Galatians 6 verse 12, he says of these people, he says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. They were people that wanted to look good. They were a people inwardly focused and they were a self-righteous people. And in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he actually accuses them of turning to a different gospel See, they'd fallen into living by works and not by faith and he goes on to say in the next verse in Galatians he says there is no other gospel he says not that there is another one but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ there was a heresy that had invaded the church and it was this justification by works of the law and this was the different gospel Paul refers to in Galatians 1.6. And now, in his letter to the church in Philippi, he's not saying, you've done this. He's saying, don't do this. He's saying, do not succumb to this. It is, it is a distortion of the gospel. It may sound right. They might have lofty speech. They might have good arguments. But it is not the gospel that was preached to you. He says, even if an angel tells you something other than the gospel that you heard at first he said do not listen to them have you ever been deceived have you ever been led astray when i was uh, about 16 i uh, i left school and i actually started a plumbing apprenticeship of all things and i don't know what apprenticeship cultures like in America, but in Australia, the apprentice is the very bottom of the rung, and he gets the jobs no one else wants to get, and he is the butt of all the jokes. <coughs> and uh, he gets pranked on quite a lot. He gets led astray quite a lot, and this was definitely the case for me. <coughs> one day uh, in in my apprenticeship, uh, we also did a lot of roofing, a lot of re-roofing with corrugated iron, and we were we are on the top of a third story factory one day. We were, re, we were redoing the roof and we were taking off the big old roofing iron sheets and laying them in a pile. And one of the guys I was working with, he said to me, uh, these sheets are gonna blow away. I, he said, I need you to go down to the bottom and get me a long wait. And I thought that sounds reasonable, long wait, something to stop these roof sheets blowing away. So off I trotted down three flights of stairs to the bottom and I spent probably about 20 minutes unable to find a long wait. And I found a factory worker and I said to him, I can't find a long wait, do you know where I can find a long wait? And he he just laughed at me and he said, mate, you're doing it. (laughs) And I thought to myself, I've been led astray here. I thought he meant one thing, but obviously he meant quite the opposite. And I was definitely waiting a long time. (laughs) But Paul is urging the Philippians here, he's saying, don't be led astray. It may sound good, but don't be led astray. Do not allow anything or anyone to distort the gospel of Christ. So verse 3, after saying all this, after prefacing that, he says, For we are the circumcision and i'm thinking to myself okay he's just said beware of those that are trying to say you've got to be circumcised and then he says this is who we are so obviously paul's talking about something that goes deeper that goes beyond the outward sign what is he talking about i think we need to go back to abraham to get a little bit of a handle a bit of a grasp on what he's talking about here so we go back to genesis chapter 15 And we find that God is making a covenant with Abraham. And Abraham's getting pretty old now. He's getting on in years. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, God says to Abraham, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said, So shall your offspring be. He's saying to Abraham, look, I know you're old and you think you're past the age of having kids. But as many stars as you can see, you are going to have offspring that many. And the very next verse, Genesis 15 verse 6 says, And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And two chapters later in Genesis 17 verse 11, the Lord says to Abraham, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a sign of the covenant. It shall be a sign of the covenant. So here's a question. I've already given you the answer but this will, this would be a test to see if you've been listening. Was it circumcision that granted abraham righteousness before god was it something he did was it something he mustered up or did he do something that all of a sudden was good enough uh-uh. see our salvation and our right standing before god has always been based on faith it's always been faith in what god has revealed Since the very beginning of time, it's not just something that came into being when Jesus came and when he died, that all of a sudden now it's based on faith. Since the very beginning of time, all of God's plan to bring mankind back to himself, it has always been faith on what God has revealed. And when we look at God's plan of salvation, we see that he has been progressively revealing the plan of bringing mankind back to himself. And we see it culminating in the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. And so it is still the same faith in what God has revealed. By faith, Abraham believed God and by faith, God granted righteousness unto him. It's always been faith in God, faith through God, faith by God. He is the source of our salvation and our righteousness. It is no work of the flesh, no certain good deed, no life well lived. It is only by God and by faith in what He has revealed. And now the fullness of God's revelation has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The God, man, king, king of kings, lord of lords, name above every other name. And by faith we have believed in him. And so he says, we are the circumcision. And It's not because of what we've done. It's not an outward sign. It's not looking good enough. It's not ticking a box on a list. It's not memorizing enough verses. It's not going to church without missing a Sunday. It's not helping enough old ladies across the road. It's not going enough days without swearing. Paul says in Romans 2.29, circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. I want you to get this. Circumcision being a matter of the heart has always been the heart. But now, where once the outward sign pointed to the reality of the inward, in Christ, he is both the bringer of, the, of life to the inward and the ability to live that life on the outward. Let me say that last part again. In Christ, he is both the bringer of life to the inward and the ability to live that life on the outward. It's both. It's only in Him. It's not that He does something and then I have to strive to meet up to that or show Him um, how thankful I am and, and just try and look like Him. He's the bringer of the life and He's the producer of the life. Verse 3 says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh because we've realized it's not in the flesh. It's not in my ability. It's not in what I look like. It's not being good enough because I never was good enough. And the only one who ever was good enough, his name is Jesus. And he lived a perfect, spotless, blameless life so that that might qualify him to die and so that that death might be the thing that washes you clean and that his life raised would be the key to you having life where you were dead before. All our boasting, any speck of a reason to glory in anything is only found in Christ. It's found nowhere else. And so we put no confidence in the flesh. Our confidence is not in what we can do. It is in what Christ has done and will continue to do in and through you. Paul goes on to say, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. He says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. A bit, uh, bit confident, Paul. He said, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. See, there was a sense that Paul's giving off here that from an outward perspective, one could adhere to these things. From an outward perspective, you could um, not do, you could achieve a certain sense of what the law was requiring. But what we are beginning to see that scripture has been saying all along that it was always deeper than the outward. And the outward has always, it was always meant to show us that on the inward we couldn't do it and we needed someone to do it for us. Paul lays out this lofty rap sheet, he says, I've got reason to have confidence. This resume of all resumes, he even has the confidence to say in regard to the law, my life looks better than most of yours does, I'm blameless in an outward sense. But Paul's eyes have been opened to the reality of the gospel because Jesus met him on the road to Damascus when he was about to continue to persecute the church. And he had an encounter with Jesus, the one true God who came to save Paul and you and all of mankind. And it radically opened his mind to the reality of the gospel, of the good news, And dots began to connect in Paul's mind where they never had before. And scripture began to point toward this reality that it wasn't about that rap sheet. It wasn't about my resume. It wasn't about my achievements or my endeavors. It's only about you, Jesus, and what you have accomplished and what you long to continue to do in me that others might know you too. His eyes had been open to this reality that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And even our good deeds without Christ are as filthy rags, and that no one is without sin, no not one. Majorian Thomas said, when you and I think to establish our own righteousness, it falls hopelessly and pathetically short of the utter demands of God's righteousness. And it seems to me, that we're living in a world where if people are put under the pump to answer this question of their eternal security, where they're going, where they stand and how they stand before God, most people will give you something like this. Well, I'm pretty good and isn't pretty good good enough? People will say something along the lines of, well, I'm a pretty good person no one's perfect anyway. But how easy is it to place so great a value in our endeavours and our achievements that they become of greater worth than the surpassing worth of knowing Christ? It is so easy for us to lose our perspective on Christ and begin to believe that our own achievements and successes are worth more. Who knows they don't have what it takes to be righteous before God? Who has come to that place where they know they couldn't save themselves, that they were at a point of just inability, no way out, where the verse that all have fallen short of the glory of God has hit you and you know it to be true? Well, God knew that too. And Paul said in Romans 5 verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In your deepest and darkest, in your point that you were furthest away, your the most inability to save yourself, God saw you in that place and he said, while you were in that place, even as an enemy unto me, I am dying for you. I am going to make a way for you, not you, not your own strength. Ephesians 2, 4 to 10, Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he had for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not your own doing it is not your own doing it is the gift of God not as a result of works so that anyone may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if you have put your faith in Christ, you're a new creation made alive in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you've put your faith in Jesus, there will come a day where you will stand before the Father and He will say, where is your righteousness? Where is your holiness? And this is the glorious truth that if you've put your faith in the Saviour, Jesus Christ, which God has revealed to all mankind, you will be able to boldly stand before the throne of God and with confidence say, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That which was prophesied of in the book of Ezekiel has come to pass. In, in Jesus and in Ezekiel 36 26 to 27 it says and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and cause you by my spirit I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey My rules. When we've been made alive, when we've been made new in Christ, this reality that was prophesied before Jesus even came into the world is now true of you. That the heart of stone that once was there without Christ has now been replaced with a new beating heart that can only be placed in your chest when we have put our trust in Jesus. And it says, by his spirit, He is the means. He is the one that makes it possible to live this life. No one has lived the Christian life. People have tried. People have looked good on the outside. People have done great things. But Jesus is the only one who has lived the Christian life and he promises to be in You and be the enabling force in you to walk in his statutes and to be all that you were made to be. I had the privilege just this last week to be the speaker at high school camp and I want to share with you as an encouragement that it was one of the most incredible experiences as a believer in my whole life. Uh, We are in a, a time of turmoil, a time of struggle, a time of hardship, a time that feels like there isn't much hope, a time that feels like there isn't much light at the end of the tunnel. And as we talk about this reality that when we've put our faith in Christ, that he makes us new, that he fills us with his spirit, and that that is how we live this life, I want to share with you that I saw the Spirit of God choosing to work through me for his purposes in a way that blew the socks clean off my feet. It was unreal. I I went into that camp and I just prayed, God, I know the good news of your gospel. And I know that there are young people in this place that need it to go from their head to their heart. They need to know you not just know about you. They need to actually know you to the point that each day when they woke up, they long to walk with you and they long to know what it means to be indwelt by your spirit, to be led in your ways, to want to hunger after your word. And there was a climax to the series, to the theme of camp. It was wilderness where we Where we were on the last night talking about the presence of god and how he has always longed to dwell in the midst of his people and at the end of really just presenting the gospel with a heart that they would come to see this reality there was a time when we just said we're just going to listen to the fire and the wind and if you'd like to to come and pray if you'd like to come and share what god's doing in your heart please do and I would say 10 and 15 minutes went by and, and nothing happened. And I thought, okay, God, if, if you're not going to speak, if you're not going to have them come to us, Lord, would you just do it in them? And, and as as Jacob um, gave them some freedom to, to kind of gather amongst themselves to break up that silence, it was almost like some floodwaters let go and people gathered together and, and kids that just... You would never expect to cry. started to cry and they walked off because they didn't want to be seen crying. And you could sense the power of this reality that God was there, that he was already there, but they were starting to see it for the first time. They were actually starting to get it, that God longs to be with them, to be in them, to be the very force that drives their life, that he would be the one that gives them hope, that he would be the one in the midst of hardship and turmoil that makes them want to wake up, that he would be the one that gives them a passion to bring this good news to people that do not have it so that they, no matter if the light never seemed to come to the end of the tunnel, that they would be secure and filled with hope and joy and peace, because he is a steadfast rock, he is immovable, and he is here. It was amazing. In the last six or seven years of getting to preach the gospel to different groups, it was one of the most tangibly profound instances of God touching people's lives. To the point that they couldn't deny it. I had boys coming up to me saying, we are never going to forget this night and I'm not going to let them. Hmm. Our right standing before the Lord is found nowhere else in no one else but Jesus and Jesus alone. How easy is it for us to remember that we were saved by grace through faith not of our own doing and then slowly but surely begin to begin to live lives where we try to earn right standing before god oh yeah it wasn't anything i did to be saved but now i've got to pull up my bootstraps and show god how much i love him now i've got to live well enough so that he'll forgive me the next time I mess up. Now I've got to do enough good things, remember enough scripture in order to be accepted by God. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. It was Christ unto my salvation, and it is Christ unto my sanctification. If it was works, if it wasn't my works then, it it isn't my works now. Paul said, Whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul understood this so much so, so much so that he knew it wasn't about the outward, so much so he knew it was only the inward and the only one that could transform the inward was Jesus and that same Jesus was going to be the one that would enable him to live on the outward he he understood this so much so that even in light of that incredible rap sheet of what he could say was true of him in the life that he has lived he said i i i I count that as rubbish i i do not place my identity in that i do not place my worth in what i have achieved in how good i look i only find my worth i only boast i only glory in the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Not just knowing about him, but in actually knowing him. It's all about Jesus, to know him, to walk with him. Our wrestling today may not be directly linked with succumbing to thinking that we have to live in line with the law like the Philippians were being encouraged not to do. But for both Gentile and Jew, the reality and the heart of this is the same. Is your right standing before God based on your own effort? Let us be a people that cling to the unadulterated, the the undistorted, the, the pure good news of Jesus. The one in whom is both the access to life and the ability to live it. Would we by faith believe, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that it isn't of our own work And thank you that you saw our helplessness and you entered into humanity to be and to bridge the gap in a way that we could not do on our own. Thank you that you died washing us clean, justifying us, but that you also rose again and that with that you brought new life for here and now. Lord, I pray that we would walk with you and step with your spirit and understand more and more that it is your righteousness in us and not of our own doing. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.